Friend, please help Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry by supporting the cost to produce Spirit-Filled Radio and Podcast for this current fiscal year. You can become a partner with Spirit-Filled Hearts by donating monthly. Your contributions make a difference in the lives of all those who listen to our radio shows and podcasts. Thank you for your support. Go to spiritfilledhearts.org and click on the donate button. That's spiritfilledhearts.org. Welcome to the beauty of our Catholic heritage. Our host is Father Jacob Shea, a Norbertine father of St. Michael's Abbey in Orange County, California. Father Shea has a great love for our church's heritage. The beauty of our Catholic heritage with Father Jacob Shea. Welcome back to the beauty of our Catholic heritage here with Father Jacob Shea on Spirit Filled Radio. Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Saint Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, we will speak about the Mass. Now, we can speak about it from the perspective of the lay faithful, and then also the perspective of the priest. And so I want to describe what it's like, of course, what is Mass like in the pew when you're watching Mass, or should be better said, when you are assisting at Mass. This is the actual word. Right? We don't just watch Mass, right? We are participating in it. We are assisting. That's the traditional word, okay? So here we say that we assist at Mass because here we are joining our prayers and sacrifices to the priest as he offers up the sacrifice of our Lord on the cross to God the Father. And so, when you are at Mass, you are, of course, trying to be as recollected as possible. So, when you go to Mass, you want to come early, and you want to come at least five to ten minutes early. And this should be the case even when you have a big family. Many times when we have a family or a bigger family, it's so hard to get to Mass on time. But here, we just have to really sacrifice and make sure that, you know, we come to Mass as a family on not on time right but prepared and so you're coming to mass you're there you settle down then you're just enjoying the quiet contemplation before mass begins super important the preparation for mass is something that a lot of us cut out and so a lay person that is a person who's not a priest or ordained what do they have to do they have to come to mass and enter into the divine silence they have to practice that before mass otherwise you're not going to receive the fruits of mass if you're not prepping your soul if you're not preparing for mass correctly you're not going to get the fruits of the mass all of the graces that god wants to give you and so if we're not paying attention, we're not fully there, then all these graces are just passing us by. 
that's why preparation is very important. Then after that, when you go to Mass, here we have the important thing that if you're at the new Mass, you should say the responses and you should say them not yelling them but you know you should also not mumble them you should also say it in unison with other people so saying it um, at your own quick pace or sometimes you think that it's too fast or too slow you have to give all of that up this is the problem with saying things or saying prayers with other people sometimes people say the rosary way too fast or some people say them so slow because they're like I cannot pray unless it's slow I don't want to speed or rush through it. Well, what's the principle for saying responses or saying the rosary or whatever it is? You have to take it at a medium pace, right? You have to take it at the middle pace for everybody. And so that means some people have to give up their own idea of how fast or slow a prayer should be and sacrifice that for the good of the community. This is why, for example, just historically in the mass, when the lay faithful um, in this question of participation when the lay faithful assisted at Mass, for the old Mass, the servers would only say the responses and not the congregation. Why is that? It's usually because when you put a lot of people together and you have to say, for example, Sushipia Dominus Hoc Sacrificium de Manibus Meis, and you have to say the whole thing. You have to say the Gloria together or the Creed together in Latin. People are not going to go at the same speed and it's going to be rushed or it's going to be too slow and people can't hear. It's not even their fault. Sometimes they can't even hear the person in the back and there's going to be a delay, right? If you have 100,000 people at the mass... If you have an outdoor mass or something like that, it's very hard to to keep all together. And so here, what was easier is that you would just let the altar servers say the response to the prayers. And plus, they would actually know how to say the responses because they were trained by the priests. And so here, they are the ones who are most capable of saying the responses. So that was kind of the mindset before. But that doesn't mean that the lay faithful didn't participate. This is a very important idea that this word active participation that we usually hear from the Vatican II documents, we need to actively participate in the Mass. This is actually a wrong translation. People don't realize it's not participatio activa. So always we must look to the documents of Vatican II and see their meaning through the Latin. A lot of people don't realize the Vatican II was all written in Latin. That's the official version of it. That's the official pronouncement of it. And so the meaning of participation here is not participatio or participatio participation, participatio activa. The word is not activa. The word is actuosa. So it's actually actual participation or you can say real participation it doesn't mean active like you have to do all these things and do all these activities that's not the actual translation so being the old mess when everybody was quiet and they just let the servers say the responses and they followed along in their missile they were active you don't say actively, right? Because that's not the word Vatican II uses. They were still actually participating. And so what actual participation means, means deep prayer, deep prayer of the Mass. 
And so, if you're in a new Mass, obviously here, the congregation is encouraged to say the prayers out loud, or to sing, if you have a good voice. And of course, to sing in step, that is in unison with other people. Right? And so, for the new Mass, you're going to have an actual participation, which means in deep prayer. So again, actual participation means that you are in deep prayer, and that doesn't mean you have to lecture or that you have to be an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion. Remember, there's no such word as extraordinary minister. Um, Eucharistic minister, right? Um, for lay people, the only Eucharistic minister is the priest because he is an actual minister. He is an ordained minister. But here, we must use extraordinary, right? Minister of Holy Communion, okay? Because here, this is an extraordinary circumstances. If there is somebody. Uh, else, this is only for the new mass. That's the language there. But really, it's best, right? And the traditional way is that only consecrated hands. This is the way that it should be. Only consecrated hands should touch uh, the blessed sacrament, right? But the new mass, um, because of certain things, which we can get into later, um, allowed the use of um, extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion. And so here we see that actual participation. That's the very important word is what Vatican II had said. It doesn't say active, it says actual. So again, actual participation is just real deep prayer at Mass. It doesn't mean that you have to bring up the gifts. It doesn't mean that you have to lecture. It doesn't mean you have to be an altar server or whatever it is. Actual participation means that you are really praying at Mass. You're entering into the divine mysteries at Mass. That is what it means. And so, during Mass, that's what we should do. This is first talking about a new Mass. And then, afterwards, when you're going to the new Mass, right, you're going to have the readings, and you're going to have the gospel, and then the homily, and at the time here, we should really see that our soul is nourished by the readings and the gospel. So we should really prepare for that. So what do we do in the preparation? We can read the gospel, and we can read the readings before Mass, and have those ready, so that when we actually get to the Mass, we are prepared you know, to receive it in the environment of Mass. Then afterwards, we have the gospel, and we're going to listen to the homily. And we have to remember that we never come to Mass primarily for the homily, right? Otherwise, we will become Protestant. Okay, for the Protestants, the only thing that they have left is the homily. That's why, or you can't really call it homily, you call it just a talk, right? And so here, we have to see that the heart of the Mass is not the homily. The heart of the Mass is the Roman canon, that is the double consecration, the consecration of the Eucharist. And so we have to really get out of that mindset where we, it's good, you can go to look for a priest, you know, who says a good homily, that's true. But remember, the main reason is that we go to Mass for the double consecration. And so the homily is supposed to really prepare your soul. That's how we should view the homily. It's what prepares your soul to hunger for the most holy Eucharist. That's the purpose of the homily. The purpose of the homily is not just to give you good entertainment. The homily is not there to make you laugh 
these because of these jokes or make you feel good, you know, because of that. I mean, it's okay if they do those things. Um, here, the purpose, though, of the homily should be seen as preparation and increase of appetite for the most blessed sacrament of the altar. That is the purpose of the homily. So we shouldn't see it as just like, oh, here's the homily part. Oh, here's the Eucharist part. And they're just separate. That is the wrong mentality. We have to see that the homily should lead us always to hunger and love God and especially get ready for the Holy Eucharist. Okay. So then after that, we have the offertory. And here the offertory, then again, it can be done in silence. And here is the more traditional way. So even in the new mass, you can do the offertory and not say, you know, blessed are you, Lord God of heaven and earth, you know, for the fruit of the vine or, you know, the work of human hands or whatever it is. Um, that is the offertory prayers of the new mass, right? That part actually can be done in silence. That is one of the options. So it doesn't have to be said out aloud. So sometimes you're like, well, I didn't say blessed be God, right? I didn't say blessed be God in the offertory. Well, that's because there is an option in the books that it done that the offertory be done silently. That was actually the tradition of the church for um, the longest, longest of times, hundreds and hundreds of years. Because here you prepare, but the offertory is when you're offering the host and the wine before the consecration to Almighty God. They're set aside for divine worship, and so the offertory is really a time where you enter even more deeply into the divine side. You had a lot of talking already, right? You had a lot of homily. Sometimes the homily is too much. Sometimes it's not enough or whatever it is. Or you had a lot of talking with the readings, a lot of exterior stuff. People really need to see that mass should have beautiful times of silence and long silence too. We have to be accustomed to silence at the divine liturgy. Because people nowadays, they think that if there's silence, there's boredom. Or if there's silence that, uh, I don't know what to do because it's awkward. And they call it an awkward silence. No, we should be nourished by silence. And that's why the offertory, it really should be done in the traditional way, which is done in mystery and silence. And this is why at the offertory, if the priest is using a, a chalice veil, and that's, of course, to be preferred and must be done in the old mass. But again, we're talking in the context of the new mass. Here, the offertory, at the offertory, the chalice veil is lifted. The veil represents covering the mystery that is the chalice, right? The blood of Christ will be in the chalice. So the offertory, the priest removes the chalice veil. And now that means we are going into deeper, deeper, deeper into the mystery. Right? So here, this is a beautiful image that in the old temple of the Jews, when God had the temple of Jerusalem, but now it's gone, right, destroyed by the Romans. When we had that temple, you had an outer court, you had an inner court, then you had the actual, you know, sanctuary, you had the, um, inside the sanctuary, you had even more rooms until you had the most important room, which was where the Ark of the Covenant was. And only the high priest could go into that single room when it was the Day of Atonement. And so you really approach God 
deeper and deeper when you're going through the stages and the levels of the temple. And here at the mass, it's like that. First, we're kind of like outside, we're just sitting on the pew, but then in our minds, we start to go closer and closer to the mystery. We start to approach the cross of Jesus more and more. And so at the offertory, right, if the chalice is veiled, that's why it should be veiled, because you really see that now you're getting closer to the cross. So the chalice veil is removed from the chalice and now you get to see the chalice for the first time it's like wow beautiful i'm gonna see the beautiful chalice that will hold the blood of jesus right and so now you are going deeper and that sense of entering deeper and deeper is a real thing that people lose you know for example there's some places and in some countries actually they outlaw the chalice veil and you think what is going on why do they do that even in the new mass they outlawed it right in the old mass you must have it Right, but in the new mass, they even outlawed it there. They said it looks too traditional, or it looks too, you know, whatever. It looks like the old mass, or whatever. So we just get rid of it. You just see the chalice from the beginning, right? So then, if you do that, you lose that progression, right? You're entering deeper and deeper. And so then, when you when you just basically get to the Eucharist, you just think everything's the same, and that's why everybody just kind of thinks that mass is just boring or mass is all flat and the same. But then if you have the removing of the veil, it's so beautiful. It's like at a wedding, right? The bride comes, that's one step, she's veiled, her face is covered. Then when she's presented to the groom, her her husband-to-be, then the veil is removed, right? All those beautiful things, right? You take those symbolism and you see that, oh, it's actually there in the Mass. Where did that come from? It actually came from the Mass. And so here we have to see that progression is beautiful and then afterwards we have the unveiling of the chalice and then the silent offertory here again we're entering even deeper into the divine silence and then afterwards we have the prayer over the offerings then that's the first time we hear words again after the bread and the wine have been offered Right, this is before the consecration. Then afterwards, we have the preface. Again, you see how everything in the Mass is preparing you. So the preface is preparing you for the Roman canon. The Roman canon is the heart of the Mass. Here, this is usually called in the New Mass, the Eucharistic Prayer 1. Okay, so there's actually multiple Eucharistic prayers. Okay, there's five Eucharistic prayers. There's like five A, B, C, etc., And so here, the Roman canon is the superior one because it is the one that is the oldest of them all, right? And so we have to see that there is actually a hierarchy in the the Eucharistic prayers. So the Eucharistic prayer number one is the Roman canon, right? So really, the superior canon is the Roman canon. That's the one that was composed by saints and given to us by the apostles, etc., It is the one that's handed down the oldest of all of the canons. And so here we see the Roman canon. We're prepared for that by the preface. So it's the Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. That's the preface. And so here you're preparing yourself to be lifted up, right, to heaven, right? Because you're going to see spiritually, right? You're going to see Christ on the cross through faith. That's what Mass is when you go to the double consecration. 
So then you go into finishing the preface, right? The holy, holy, holy. And when you go holy, 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 now you're entering into the deepest part of the temple of Jerusalem, right? You're entering into the holy of holies where Christ is. And now it's not going to be, right, a box, right? The Ark of the Covenant is not a box anymore. It's actually... Jesus on the cross. That's the wood. Not a wooden box anymore. It's going to be a wooden cross where he died for us. So then we go to the Roman canon, the Eucharistic prayer number one. And remember, we prefer Roman canon. That is the traditional wording, the traditional name of the prayer. And then even in all of those, we're asking the saints, the Blessed Virgin Mary, the apostles to help us prepare for that moment when the priest then says, this is my body, right? This is my blood. And then at that point, we know all Catholics in the world must leave, right? And know that now the bread becomes the body of Christ, right? The flesh of Christ. And the wine is no longer wine, but now is the blood of Christ. Okay, we got to bring that awful statistic that only like how many... 15, maybe 10% even now of Catholics, okay? Maybe 20% if you're generous, but I think it's probably much lower because everybody is so badly catechized, they don't know their faith, right? Everybody must know that there is transubstantiation, right? Transubstantiation, memorize this beautiful word, transubstantiation. That means the bread is now the body of Christ, the flesh of Christ, and the blood of Christ is now there. Not anymore any wine. There's no more wine. It's the blood of Christ. Okay? So, just the qualities of the wine remain and the qualities of the bread. But the substance of bread is gone. It's not there. It's the substance of Christ's flesh that's there. The substance of wine is gone, but... The substance of Christ's blood is now there, okay? And so we have the double consecration. Now, again, when you have the whole body separate from all the blood, if that happened to you, you are dead. And so when that happens on the altar, the blood of Christ is separate from the body of Christ, then that means Jesus is dead. But he only died one time, right? And so what does that mean? Mass is the representation of Jesus on Calvary. Now, I didn't say representation. It's not a symbol. It's a presentation again or a representation. It is a presentation again. So what does that mean? Okay. It means that we are now outside of time. It means that we go to the foot of the cross because when the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus are separate. That means he's dead. When did Jesus die? He died 2,000 plus years ago. And so here, obviously, we're in that time, right? We are there at the foot of the cross with Jesus, and we are there looking up at him with Mary and St. John and St. Mary Magdalene, other Marys that were there. We are really there at the foot of the cross. We're outside of time. That's why it's so amazing that the, the sacrifice of Jesus is a historical event, but it's also an eternal sacrifice, 
right? It's an eternal sacrifice. So at Mass, that's why Mass is so powerful. When we are at the double consecration, that is the consecration of the host and the blood of Christ, we are really there at the foot of the cross. And so here, this is when our prayer is the deepest. So the most important part of Mass is not the reception of Holy Communion. Some people think that, right? The most important part is being at the foot of the cross. That is, the most important part of Mass is the double consecration. Then, after that, the most important part after that is going to be your reception of Holy Communion, right? Because you can't receive Communion if, right, you didn't have the Mass, right? And the Mass, what is the Mass? The Mass doesn't mean you can receive Holy Communion, right? Because there are times when you can receive Holy Communion outside of Mass. But you only have Holy Communion because there was a Mass that consecrated hosts. And so here we see that the Mass itself, the heart of the Mass, is the double consecration. Consecration of the body of Christ and the consecration of the blood of Christ. That is the heart of the Mass. When we are at the foot of the cross with Mary, really, we are really there outside of time. That's why it's so powerful. Every Mass is so powerful. If we only knew what it is right, to be at a Mass. Then after that, we receive Holy Communion. There's a lot of other things in between, but here again, we're just doing an overview. And for the lay faithful again, afterwards, after we receive Holy Communion, don't just leave right away. We need to stay after Mass and thank Jesus for receiving Holy Communion. So five minutes, you know, 10 minutes if you really have the time, but really as a family, that's a time. You should all just kneel straight down after the Mass and stay there until the father of the family is ready to go, right? So that's how the Father can really lead in prayer. So this is an overview. And so here we ask God to give us the grace to prepare well, to enter even deeply into prayer. And so we will end with a glory be. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Saint Joseph, Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to The Beauty of Our Catholic Heritage with Father Jacob Shea. If this program has been a blessing to you, please encourage others to listen as well. For more information, visit spiritfilledhearts.org. That's spiritfilledhearts.org. May God be with you this day and always. You're listening to the Spirit-Filled Radio Network. Tell a friend. No, tell 10 friends. Are you happy with your weight? Did you add extra pounds during the past year? If your weight is an issue, the Heaven Sent Weight Loss Program is your answer. With Gil Yearly as your coach, and by the way, Gil has worked with our bishops, priests, and hundreds successfully over the past 10 years with Heaven Sent Weight Loss. In fact, Archbishop Gomez lost 24 pounds in 30 days on this program. It's fast, safe, cost-effective. Women lose between 15 to 25 pounds, men 20 to 30 plus in just 30 days. Blood work will decrease. Your doctor will be happy. The best thing you'll do physically is the Heaven Sent Weight Loss Program. 
To get started, go to spiritfilledradio.org forward slash weight loss. That's spiritfilledradio.org forward slash weight loss. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please consider supporting Spirit Filled Hearts Ministry with a one time or monthly gift. Spirit Filled Hearts Ministry is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We are only funded by generous donors who believe in our mission to evangelize.